Welcome, Tony Castillo. Hey, Rudy. How are you? Doing well. Thank Th you so much for having thank me. Thank you for coming in. We had Absolutely. your dad in, and yes. now we have you. So you're a junior, right? I am a junior, but my dad hates it when anyone calls me junior, so I'll just go by Tony for this. <laughs> okay. Wow, he doesn't, he doesn't like junior. He doesn't. He doesn't at all. I don't know why, but, you know. Hmm, that's strange. It is. It is. But he does he like to be called Tony? Um, He goes by Tony, Tonio, um. Antonio, but never junior for some reason. He never liked it for me. And I don't even have a middle name, too. Uh, oh. It's, it's actually pretty funny because, um, you know, I, on my license, it says just Antonio Castillo. Uh -huh. And um, once I turned 21 and I was uh, at a bar and trying to buy a drink, I gave them my ID. And uh -huh. they looked back at me and they said, nice try. And I said, what? Because what <laughs> oh, you, nice you don't have a middle name? No middle name. <laughs> Good try, though. And they rejected me. Wow. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. So do you get a lot of, like, mail mixed up with you and your dad because... because yeah, well, thing? he does have a middle name, but I don't think I should share that one because he's a little embarrassing. But I'm going to share it anyways. His middle name is Benito. Okay. Um, which is great. But, yeah. like, growing up, he just didn't like being called Benito. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a middle name, so most yeah, people right. don't call you by your middle name. Yeah. Yeah, so no junior, just Tony Castillo. Okay, because I'm a junior, too. Okay. My dad is, you know, uh, Rudy Rodolfo okay. Sr., and I'm junior. And, yeah, he was. He, he told me when my son was born, like later, years later after my son was born, he was like, you know, I kind of wanted him to be a, the third. Yeah. And I was like, well, Dad, why didn't you tell me? Right. Has your dad ever said anything like that to you about no. if you have a son? Yeah, I think it's been hinted at and kind of uh, encouraged. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, um Lord willing, uh, my future wife would be okay with it, but uh, who knows? But it'll be really cool to have the Antonio the Third. I know, sure. yeah. My son was like, "Why didn't you name me the Third? I was like, "I don't." Well, we 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 have a lot of relatives with the right. name Rodolfo, so we're like, "Okay, well, let's skip that for now." But yeah. anyway, this is about you. Yes. <laughs> so you've been here at Saint Faustina since the beginning. I have ever since we were meeting at Hubenac. Is that how you Hubenac? Yeah. Hubenac, yeah. I mean, I would come back home from college, and my parents were telling me, oh, we, there's a new church that's starting, and they're meeting at an elementary school. And I said, what? I mean, that sounds kind of strange, right? You mean they're having <laughs> mass there? Um, but once you were there, I mean, it was so special. I, I almost like a part of me wished that one year we could just go back and celebrate mass just one more time. I oh. think it would be incredible. I, I think the community would, would go crazy if we ever got to experience wow. that ever again. I don't know that if it would ever a, happen, but it would be super cool because that's a good just, idea. Yeah, I just have so many vivid memories of walking down that hallway and then going into the cafeteria, um, you know, the chair set up and um, mass being celebrated on the stage. Just super, super special and unique. Something that um, I had never seen before. I didn't know that that was allowed to uh -huh. cele honestly celebrate Mass anywhere outside of the church. I really didn't know that at the time. So, um, yeah, in incredibly special to be able to be a part of St. Faustina since the very beginning. I actually worked there at that school for one year. No way. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's I'd walk awesome. in. I'd walk into the gym and like, yeah, yeah, that's where that used to be. That's where this used yeah. to be. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. It was afterwards, though. I okay. worked there for a year. Yeah, I taught. I taught special ed for a year there. But I know what you mean about um, that was my first experience, too. I've heard about masses being done in different places, like firehouses and stuff like that, while they're trying to get the budget together and make yeah. a building. But, yeah, this was my first experience of actually being part of a parish. Now, 
I understand you were you were born in Mexico, right? I was born in Mexico, Monterrey, Mexico. I was born there in 1993. Um, and then in first grade, I moved here to Katy, Texas. And so uh, most of my life has been here in the States, but um, would try and go back to Mexico as much as we could. Uh -huh. Most of my family is over there. Um, and so any summer or Christmas that we could go back, we were there. And it was funny growing up, I missed it so much that I was trying to devise a plan with my friends at school about, um, which is not encouraged, but to meet <laughs> at midnight um, to start building a plane because I would tell them Mexico's awesome. Let's uh -huh. just go and meet at midnight. We're going to start building a plane. We're going to fly over there. I'm going to show you guys it's the best thing ever. That's that, hilarious. That's, that's how old my, were you? I was probably, what, how old are you when you're in second grade? Something like that. But <laughs> that's what was going through my mind in second grade. I just wanted to go home. I didn't really speak the language too well. So I was in ESL classes and um, was very self-conscious about reading and, and speaking. But uh, slowly, I started to learn the language pretty well uh, to the point where I almost now have more of an accent in Spanish, which is pretty funny. Oh, uh, that, that is. Yeah, because now I just, with my dad, everything was in English because I needed to start practicing. Yes. My mom was always in Spanish. But okay. Um, yeah, pretty funny how that worked. So do you have memories of when you were one year old there or, or is it mainly your memories just you know vacations no I, th I think i have very vivid memories of uh growing up there because i didn't move until i was um in first grade so kindergarten oh, first grade yes i'm thinking one year old yeah no, no, first no. grade yeah. yeah so in in kindergarten and, and before that i have very many vivid memories of um doing like taekwondo swimming oh, okay. uh, and like all the the friends that i used to have um so you must have been like five or six years old Some, around that time? Yeah, something like that. Uh, but I definitely remember also the trips going back. So it's it's a very special place to me. And now it's it's a little difficult to go because it's a, a different situation now, a little bit more dangerous. But uh -huh. anytime I can go, I'm, I'm definitely there. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but... Um, um, Mexican families are just like Filipino families. You're very close knit, right? Oh, you yeah. know a lot of your first cousins, second cousins too, right? Yes. Very close knit. So you you're very close with your family there, I'm sure. Yeah, and I'm very thankful for that. I mean, we might not talk every day, but when we see each other, it's like we saw each other like yesterday. You know, it. it I, I'm very thankful for that. How it's the cult, the Mexican culture, just like the Filipino culture. It's just very family oriented. Yeah. It's, it's huge, and I feel like I'm meeting a second cousin every time I go to Mexico. You know, it's like, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, your first cousins are like your siblings, exactly, right? And then exactly. your second cousins are like your first cousins. Yes, That's like, yeah. Yes, and some of them did move here to the states, and so maybe I was a little closer to them because they're in the closer vicinity, and we could see each other more often. But um, yeah, I still have a lot of cousins and, and family members in Mexico that when I get to go and see them, it's it's really the best. So when you came here, you said you had some issues with, you know, English and all of that. Um, did you, like, really struggle in school because of that? Um, I think I didn't necessarily struggle in school. I think I was just, it built, like, a, I, a way that I was becoming a little bit more self-conscious. But for the most part, I did well in school. Um, I was very blessed to have very supportive parents and also having me involved in um, a lot of sports and so it was always like a good balance uh, of activities and so thankfully I didn't struggle too much in school I, if anything it was just the the language barrier but then after a while it it, it became fine and you know it was it was actually kind of like St. Faustina um, my elementary school was called Williams Elementary and 
we were the first class of first graders um, to go into that elementary. Oh, wow. So okay. that was really cool. Was that here in Houston? Here, here in Houston. Yeah, here in uh, in Katy in Cinco Ranch area. Okay. Um, and so we were the first class, and so I, I got to be there. And a lot of the kids were had gone to um, kindergarten somewhere else, and so some of the people knew each other. And there was a group of of guys that kind of like took me in per se and. Um, it, it's actually super special. I mean, we still talk to That's this day. Awesome. We're still really close. Have like a group chat that we're always talking, and so um, super, super thankful for that. And it, I just have a lot of great like memories uh, from Williams to the point where when we graduated or where we were going to graduate high school, um, they brought us back to Williams, and uh, we got to like wow. get interviewed and take like uh, pictures that back to cool. where we were, and so. Yeah, Williams Elementary was was a great place. Honestly, just moving here, I at big at the beginning, I really wanted to move back because uh -huh. it, it was my normal and that was home. But yeah, um, once I was here, um, man, it's just what a country we live in. Honestly, I mean, so you you stayed in that same school system, just going through that the same track. You didn't move or anything, no, right? Yeah. yeah. So I I went to Williams Elementary, then I went to Beck Junior High, and then I went to Cinco Ranch High School. So that was my trajectory, and then I went to Texas A&M. So, um, and throughout that process, um, getting to be involved in sports, uh, taekwondo, swimming, my my favorite thing to do was always to play football. And so I played football for a long time. What um, position? I played cornerback. Yeah. Okay. I played linebacker at first, but then I just never grew, and so <laughs> stuck me out to, with cornerback because I was a little smaller. But um, I love to play defense, and yeah, it was my favorite sport by far. Um, and then I also, in sixth grade, started playing the alto saxophone. So that was what gave me a good foundation for music in general. Um, so I played from sixth to twelfth grade. So you were in band. I was in band. So I played football and and was in band. So there was times where I even got to march in special circumstances in my my football pads. Oh, that's cool. With my instrument, yeah, that's super, really super cool. cool. Yeah. So. You're you sing for the 4:30 Mass here at St. Faustine. I mean, you're great voice. You play the guitar well, but you weren't in the choir in high school. No, uh, yeah. Um, for some reason, I. It, it's funny. In fifth grade, uh, I was in choir. We got to go to SeaWorld, and it was a great time. Uh -huh. But when they were selecting soloists uh, for the choir. Um, it seemed like everyone got a solo and I didn't, and I took it as you can't sing. Oh! And so after that, I was I'm just gonna stick to singing in the shower and in the car, you know. Uh -huh. uh, and so that's what I really did. Um, I never really sang very much. Uh, growing up, I always had like a huge attraction to to music in general. Mm -hmm. uh, there's pictures of me growing up uh, pretending to sing with like a straw or like playing the air guitar. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it was. Um, I was a late bloomer when it came to singing. I didn't really get uh, comfortable until probably college. Um, in, in high school, near the end, I picked up the guitar, but it was very much in my room, just kind of playing and strumming. But um, I'd, from time to time, go downstairs to my parents' room and tell them, what, what do you think of this? How does this sound? You know. So, uh -huh. uh, but for the most part, I, I just never felt comfortable singing. Do you regret quitting choir? Um, or do you think no? This is just my path. I, I'm I'm glad because then maybe I would have gotten into band and playing the alto saxophone was just so fruitful for me. Like it, it gave me such a great foundation. It might even be to a fault because sometimes when I sing, I 
go all over the place and I don't kind of stick to what I'm supposed to be singing <laughs> uh, because that saxophone is very much of like a adornment or just like sprinkles on top uh-huh. overall. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm very thankful that, that I got to have a lot of focus on the saxophone from 6th to 12th grade and, you know, the Lord uses all things. And I mean, would it have been cool to use it a little bit more and develop uh-huh. at an earlier age? Absolutely. But um you know, I'm still thankful. One of the reasons why I'm asking you this is because what during your dad's interview, he talked about how he, you know, you guys used to go to mass at Epiphany where we were. Yeah. And I struggled in the choir being one of the <laughs> few men and your dad was watching it. I'm like, if you sing well too, you could have joined us as well because we did have some high schoolers at the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, in, I love going to Epiphany, honestly, but for some reason, it, we were just a little younger in our walk overall as a family, I would say. Uh, and so there wasn't too much of a draw to, to go and, and sing at the time, but that would have been super cool. Your dad teases me. He's like, yeah, I watched you struggle there in the choir. That sounds like my dad for <laughs> sure. He probably enjoyed it very much. <laughs> so you, you you didn't have any desire yet at that point? No, not at all. I, I was just very shy when it came to all of that. Um always care too much about what people would say or think. And especially with singing, for some reason, I just never felt comfortable doing it. So you talked about your faith walk as a family. What was it like growing up for you? I would say we were always, actually not even, um, maybe not always consistent, but it seemed like culturally we were uh, a part of the church. And so there was a commitment to go because that's what we were used to. Um, my grandparents were devout Catholics, and so um, my parents knew that there was a, a lot of truth behind uh, what we were doing, but it, it was just a little different. It seemed as though um, we were going because it was a commitment that we could not fall back on, um, but maybe there wasn't too much of an emphasis as to why, you know? And maybe there was, and I just wasn't paying attention. That could easily be it, right? You were growing up. I was yeah. growing up. Um, and so I, I think as a family, my dad did a great job to get us to Mass, especially at Epiphany. Uh-huh. Um, I think the issue was that I was a little distracted at the time. Um, you know, maybe there was a cute girl in the pews that I was <laughs> looking at and rather than paying attention to what's going on during the consecration, right? And um, it... It took me years to try to finally understand what's going on at that mass. And uh-huh. so just very different. I, I think that there was a lot of things we needed to do, but I had gotten very used to um, playing the part of pretending to be present and going through the motions, but not actually being present and, and listening well. You know, I, I, I've, I saw that a lot in the Philippines as well, because it's part of the culture. So this is what you're supposed to do. So everybody knows the motions. They know all the prayers and all of that. Yeah. But sometimes, since it's part of that culture, there's sometimes there's less of a, uh, maybe, a, I don't know if it's less of a desire or you don't go deeper. A lot right. of people don't go deeper because you think that, okay, it's these are the things you're supposed to do. Yeah. But then it's just a, it's just the routine, I guess. Right. I, does that I, make any sense? No, is it does. I mean, our, our faith in, is just so rich with so much you know and it's like so many ways to approach uh, our faith and where it all leads back to jesus but if it's not necessarily explained well then it's hard to really see the value in it and i think that was 
my experience is that I saw that we were doing many things, but I felt that it was almost forced and I couldn't see as to why I'm doing it. So I, I was missing that piece as to why. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, I mean, we were here. And so a, a lot of different people growing up didn't have that opportunity yeah. to be here. So at least it laid a really great foundation for me to then be able to build upon it um, on my own way, right? I, I think growing up, I got into a habit of really trying to blame others for my situation and many times even my parents. And so it, when it comes to my faith and, and my walk, it took a lot of maturing to get to a point where I saw, you know, you need to do the work and you need to do the search yourself. Um, and, and now I think because of that, it means that much more to me because maybe if it was, you know, spelled out very plainly for me, um, it wouldn't have the value that it has today. Me. During your high school years or maybe even your college years, did you have a certain point where you almost walked away from the faith? Because, you know, growing up here in the United States, there are a lot of things that can pull you away from it. Right. Uh, I think it was definitely going into college. Um, I in, in high school, I think relationships mean the world to you at the time. Um, <laughs> my parents, I think, met in junior high. And so I had this image of trying to recreate that. And when it didn't work out at the time, it really hit me. And so going into college, um, I had recently broken up with someone. And so once that happened, I, I really started to move away from the commitment of going to church because in high school, I mean, we were going as a family. And even though I was encouraged in college, hey, have you gone to Mass? Um, I'm sure there was many times where I would lie or many times that I did go, but, you know, just completely numb and just present because I had to be there. But not Going through the motions. Going through the motions. Mm -hmm. And I had just gotten so good at doing that. And so I would say uh, I didn't know how to suffer well. And once that started happening, I started to look to the world because now as you get older, you can be exposed to different kind of pleasures. And oh, so yeah. as soon as that started to open up, especially in college, I found a lot of different distractions to ease my pain, let's say. So you said like, you know, a the, the lot of distractions and stuff like that. What? How old were you when, when the smartphone started coming out? And because, you know, nowadays. Yeah, now I, I feel like I would have been a lot worse off if I would have been exposed in that way that easily uh -huh. um, from a young age, let's say junior high, I think. Um, the, the problem is, is that I, even at a young age, I'd still work to try and find these different ways. Um, and in particular, it's something that I struggled with was pornography uh -huh. um, and things of lust. And so um, even when I was younger, I, I can't remember exactly the age, but um, probably even since junior high, for some reason, maybe just casual conversations with um, my friends at school about, mm -hmm. you know, pornography in general and just being led astray, unfortunately, since a young age. So I can't imagine having it be just a, a click away on the phone um, at that age uh -huh. in particular. And um, there's always that one kid who brings it to school yes. in his backpack. Yes. And he shows it to everyone in the restroom. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I can't imagine how much worse off I would be. But, you know, as I was starting to go through high school and in college, that definitely started to become more prevalent, especially because um, I felt that I wasn't being necessarily like validated in like relationships. And mm. I think all hearts are always seeking intimacy, uh -huh. um, but I wasn't realizing that 
the only intimacy that I needed was with the Lord. And I, at the time, just was completely oblivious to it. And so I would seek very short-term gratification to just make me feel better in general. So uh-huh. um, yeah, in, in college, that definitely started to to get worse um, when it comes to, to lust overall. But I think I would always have certain boundaries, which is another reason why I was numb and going through the motions when I was at church. But there were certain just fundamental things in my heart that I feel like I can't do. And so I was like, okay, at least I'm not doing this, so it's okay. Uh-huh. And so I think the devil since then would lie to me that, well, at least you're not doing X, Y, Z, right? Uh, yes, and you're so, comparing yourself to other people who are worse. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I think that's how the enemy starts. You know, like I, I always think about my journey as if the devil would have given me a very cute puppy and just tell me, just feed it from time to time, but it'll be okay. You can control it, right? Um, but little did I know that that little puppy was going to turn into like a wolf one day that was oh. just ready to consume me, uh-huh. right? And so in college, um, I also had moments where like I was starting to go back and know that I was running to the world, seeking comfort, but it just wasn't enough. And I felt like I was always needing more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was definitely going more into uh, partying and drinking alcohol. Um, marijuana use was starting to be prevalent as well. Um, thankfully, I didn't go much farther than marijuana, but that was definitely something that was was there and, and present. Did uh, they have the vaping marijuana at that point? Not yet. No, yeah. So the Lord was very gentle with me with not giving me too much at okay. first. Um, yeah, I think uh, it was a very slow transition on um, those kinds of things. It was if I was at a certain place and it was there, then I would do it socially, let's say. Because um, everyone else is doing cause, it. Because right? everyone else yeah. is doing it. Uh-huh. And at the same time, you know, it is a good distraction from what's going on around me. So why not? You uh-huh. know? Um, when I, again, I don't necessarily have a real reason as to why I'm going to Mass and like what does it mean to actually have a relationship with Jesus at that time? Um, I had heard about it and I had seen it and I had been to retreats too where I had felt something, uh-huh. but I, I didn't know what that meant and it was just fleeting and it would go away. Um, but yeah, it was, in, in college was an interesting time because there was moments where um, I would know that I needed to go back and at least look a little deeper as to what's going on here at Mass. And so there was a period when I started to go to adoration um, and go to mass, but it was the mentality to receive rather than to give glory, right? So uh-huh. I, I think I was still had a misconception of why am I coming here, right? And it was almost, again, like in a way, what's another bandaid I can put on this wound that I have? Do you feel like you were living a double life in some ways? Oh, absolutely. Um, in college, not so much because maybe I was surrounded uh, by this lifestyle. And like I, I said, I think when I looked at people around me who were doing much worse things than me, I was like, I think I'm doing okay. And I'm generally uh-huh. like a good person and I'm nice to people. And that, that's what people told me, right? And so uh-huh. I started believing that, well, I think I'm doing enough. Um, but, you know, once I started to um, graduate and move back here, um, I wanted to go to law school and I started to study um, to go to law school my family situation started to get a little bit harder financially um, to the point where I needed to get a job to start helping out. 
And uh, so I did. But as I'm doing that, I'm starting to get the opportunity uh, to serve and, and sing at mass. Um, and in college, I barely sang. I had an opportunity to um, enter a, a funny competition to and where I had to sing and I did well, and I got the opportunity to sing uh, the national anthem at the uh, Texas A&M LSU playoff game. Uh-huh. So I went from not singing in front of people to singing in like essentially com- somewhat of like a, a big crowd. And so from there on, like I started to feel more comfortable at St. Faustina. I'd come and sing with the choir. I'd get a solo, and then someone would come and ask me like, "Do you sing uh-huh. like yourself at mass?" And like it started to slowly transition into going to let's say the holy name retreat center where they have retreats going on and i got to sing and then so even to where uh the 430 mass was needing someone to lead and i had no experience whatsoever i was very shy when it came to singing but um, the lord put me in that place and i started to um, do that but when it comes to living a double life um yeah i the fact that I was able to have these opportunities and doing other things um, was something that I couldn't even see at the time, which is what's um, the scariest part, that um, I was living in such a season of spiritual laziness uh, because as soon as I got out of college, my parents' financial situation did create a, a lot of pressure of um, what's going to happen to my family, essentially. Uh-huh. Because um, you're the oldest, I and am then you oldest. have you know your other brothers, your brothers in college, and your sister's still in high school at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it it was tough because we lost the home that we grew up in, and and cars as well. Um, and in reality, maybe the situation wasn't incredibly terrible. But then during that time, I could see that my father's uh, health was deteriorating as well. Um, and so there was just multiple pressures um, coming in from different angles. and But I, I did have the opportunity to be uh, singing here. Um, but for some reason, I had glimpses of what could be the faith that we have, but I, I wasn't going deep enough. And so then once all these problems started coming, I, I fell back into the world. Um, started now picking up more of the marijuana use, and this was not just socially, like now I was doing it um, individually. Um, I had also continued to struggle with lust, but when it came to that, I was like, well, I still have like my limits, so it's okay, like I have this under control. Uh-huh. Um, and then I started to date someone, um, and then I guess we live in a day and age where living with someone is more convenient, you save money, you're always spending time with them, so, um, why not, right? You rationalize it in your head. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, and th- and this is someone that I considered my best friend and I, I cared very much about and so, and potentially could be marrying this person. And that's what I was telling myself because at that moment, that's exactly what I was feeling. Um, and so we started to live together. Um, my roommate's uh, girlfriend also was living with him. And so that was very normal. It's almost, it seemed like if we weren't to be living together, then something might have been off. Um, And it was almost like a glimpse of like what the marriage could be like. And so I started to do that. And then now all these problems um, continue to arise and I feel more weight on my shoulders. And so I'm looking for antidotes, right? And um, especially when it came to lust, now these boundaries that I had uh, no longer existed. um, And now 
these actions became more of addictions um, all throughout. Um, these are things that it, with marijuana use and from a less perspective, were going on on a daily basis. That at the time, unfortunately, was my faith, was my religion. Um, but at the same time, living that double life and essentially putting on a mask when I came here to serve at St. Faustina, uh -huh. seeing maybe at the moment feel something, but then go back to the life that I was living. I was able to get a great job um, and got us uh, financially sound to where I could be paying for my own apartment and supporting my family. And so it was, um, yeah, it, it was a very turbulent time to where I, I felt like I needed to run everywhere else but the Lord, but yet I was here every single Sunday um, and I hid very well. No one really knew. I uh -huh. mean, um, these people might see me singing there every single Sunday, especially during that time, and they might think, wow, like he comes from a perfect family and uh -huh. nothing's broken and it's amazing, right? And like yeah. that was just not the reality. The reality was that there was many nights where Saturday night I'd stay up very late um, partying and then I'd still not be feeling well and then coming and singing because, well, it's at masses until 4.30, so I can probably recover, right? And so I was just um, very much of a walking corpse. Uh, wow. I, yeah, I because I'm still receiving communion at the time. Um, I'm not going to confession, and, and I'm serving here um, and just completely and utterly lost, and I, I couldn't see it at the time. Did anyone tell you that? Like, did you have any friends or, or family that say, hey, we're noticing you're starting to go off the deep end here? Right. Did anyone ever step in and say anything like that? Unfortunately, I didn't have a... Or a, you hit it so well. A combination of both, I would say. Um, I think the community that I have had at the time around me um, didn't think I was doing anything wrong. Um, if anything, it was very normal. Uh -huh. um, I think my parents were definitely encouraging me against it, but at the same time saw that I was an adult and also, you know, supporting uh, myself and, and had a good job and making good choices. And to me, when I was here, like, in my mind, I would also tell myself, well, I'm serving every Sunday. I'm At least I can check off that box or like, yeah, me and God are good. You know, I'm, uh -huh. I'm here every Sunday, so it's okay. But it was really mainly just my parents. Um, but especially... Um, when my dad started to get sicker and, and he unfortunately had to go through a very traumatic uh, surgery, I, I had moments there where I had to pray and look at the reality to when like now I have to ask the Lord something super important that I haven't been a good son and how can I ask something of him when I've just been so fake and um, not dedicating my life to him when I, when there was always some there was not always but there was moments where i think about it but then i was just so lost that i used to feel guilt about not being real and genuine about my faith but then uh -huh. i had so many distractions and so much noise around me that i i didn't even know what i was doing so the support of hey let's reel it back in really came from my parents and i'm very thankful for that i mean they got to the point where they didn't really know. Um, and, and the big thing was just knowing that I I was 
they they knew that I wasn't doing the right things, and so they would write me letters even just to try and find a way to to get to my heart. But my heart had just been so hardened that I I could not let anything in at the time. Um, and it's a difficult line to toe because you are an adult at that point, and they don't want to push you away right, either. Right. Yeah. So it so it it was a tough time, but um yeah, it things continued to just get out of control because the things that at first uh, I, I thought um, were not that bad had become addictions. And it was very clear to me that I had issues and like I was not acting in a healthy way. Like I lived a very toxic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't a, until Lent, uh, I, I believe it was of um, 2020, um, right before the craziness of 2020 occurred where um, I woke up one morning and I just heard um, through my own words, I said, Mary, I consecrate myself to you. And I didn't know what that even meant. Um, I don't know why those words were put on my mouth. Like, I, I really don't know why. So that you just was said that? I, I woke up and I said that. Wow. Um, and I, I didn't really know what that meant. Um, and so, like, I, I Googled it. And maybe I'd heard it in passing, uh-huh. um, you know, being at Mass and being somewhat involved. Like, I, I was had everything on mute, but maybe there were certain words that like were sticking, but I never really like looked too deep into it, let's say. Um, and so from there, I it just got put on my heart that I'm obviously looking for more things to put on these wounds that I that have where, um, where I'm looking for intimacy and acceptance and feeling that I'm imperfect and so, like, I'm putting all of these different things around me that will just never fulfill my heart. Um, and I decided that, okay, let's take a step back from all of these lustful actions. And as soon as I started doing that, it, was, um, it wasn't easy, but I started to really sober up and um, started to, like, see what was going on around me. Um, and it, it was beautiful how I was able to start waking up every morning and just saying thank you, Jesus. And now, my obsession was really to like getting to know Him. And it wasn't easy because the enemy had gone through years of small actions to create an avalanche to just completely drown me and, uh-huh. and have me feel like I was immobilized. Um, and so I knew that it was going to take a while to really chip away at all of this, but um, knowing that I just needed to show up and that every day wasn't going to be the best, but I, I just needed to to show up. And and so I started to do that. And, you know, we, uh, my girlfriend and I at the time had now lived together for two and a half years. And so now I'm getting prompted in my heart to uh, ask her to not live together anymore, but to see if we can try and make it work. Um, and then as we started to do that, things didn't work out. And so that period was definitely very difficult for me because this is someone who um, was my best friend. I had a great relationship. What do you mean by with. make things work? Make things work, meaning that um, whenever we started dating and decided that we we're going to move in together, I had this hope in my heart and, and did really believe it that this was going to be my wife. Uh-huh. Um, and so I thought that by us committing to the Lord and what He wants for our lives uh-huh. um, and 
just starting afresh and having him be at the inception of the relationship was going to be fruitful for us. And so that was what make things work could be is that um, just submit to him and, and his will. Um, and so it, it was tough seeing eye to eye on, on some of those issues. And so um, we, we ended up breaking up. And so that was a very tough time um, because, again, I have had a lot of love and, and still do for her and her and her family and I still pray for them till this day so it was it was definitely hard but on the other side of of um, taking the risk of not being comfortable I, I found so much um, peace and and it wasn't easy I mean when that started it was in 2020 and so it wasn't easy for anyone, right? And oh, yeah. A lot, a lot of isolation, and um, it, it was just different times back then. It seems so long ago, but it really <laughs> it wasn't. wasn't. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and so 2020 was just trying to get to a place to where I could be open to see what the Lord is trying to do with my life. Um, and there was a lot of ups and downs that year, a lot of... Uh, consolation to where I was on fire, like, man, I'm doing the right thing. Uh And then desolation where I feel like I was lost and like, what am I actually doing? But um, for the most part, it was, it felt like it was an upward trajectory roller coaster ride where I little dips here and there, but Uh we, I felt like I was on the up and up. And um, if it really came to a point where um, I felt like I was ready to take a next step and that really came through, uh, going through Exodus 90. I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Exodus 90. Have no, you I haven't. Yeah, so it's a 90-day Lent on steroids, let's say, okay. to where um, you really die to self and move away from the world that you, um, one, you, you start to make sure that you have a daily holy hour. Okay. Um, I was also in a, a group of guys. Actually, uh, Gabriel Castillo was a part of this group. Okay. You've interviewed. Yes. Um, and you do d- different aestheticisms like cold showers every single day. Um, no video games, no sports, no TV, no social media, no sweets. That one really hurt. Ooh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Love my ice cream. So that was rough. Um, working out every single day. Um, but more importantly, like having that daily hour to pray and, uh-huh. and be in silence. And also at the time, uh, praying the rosary and trying to pray the rosary, uh, the full rosary with all four mysteries. And throughout 2020, as I was still trying to find my way and, and balance um, and try and walk, get out of the boat per se and, and start to walk on the water and trusting in the Lord, the rosary was really what brought me back and was the biggest part of my uh, reversion, um, consistency in in the rosary and meditating upon those mysteries was incredibly fruitful. And I know it was through Mary that I was able to start to slowly heal. Um, so during those 90 days, you really shut out the world um, and start to focus on him. And so now I have a lot more free time if I'm not watching sports or on social media, just uh-huh. mindlessly scrolling away. Yeah. Um, once I started to put all that away, then I was actually able to be given a fresh set of eyes, let's say, to where now when I see Father Dad or Father Dave Michael like consecrating the host and I'm 
right next to the altar and I'm seeing it now. I'm mm -hmm. now I'm in awe that I I can't believe that I'm able to be here in this remembrance and this celebration, um, and that now I'm able to start to go to confession and um, to receive the Lord's mercy to actually start understanding what's going on here and where before I didn't. Um, You're not just going through the motions anymore. Not just going through the motions. Yeah. Now I am not just only receiving, but I am lifting up my praise uh, genuinely. I think even in the way that I would sing, the the Lord was so you know, gracious with me to give me a voice, but it, it wasn't until really like these past two years or so to where like I was actually singing to him and I wasn't just singing that everything has really changed. Um, and and now I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for it. Exodus 90, I, I really do think was what um, was the reset button um, and just really cleansed my heart. And then last year, I really was um, healed from my addictions of when it comes to lust and, and, and marijuana use. Uh, all of that went away. Um, and so I was incredibly grateful and I can't say there, you know, it, it's a journey and it, and I'm still having to show up sometimes where, um, life happens and it's not always sunshine and rainbows, but, uh -huh. um, I'm starting to learn that there can be joy and sorrow at the same time. Those two can coexist. And so I'm just incredibly grateful for the road that has had to be taken, um, and yeah, it's been incredible so far. When you did Exodus 90, when was this? Was this during the lockdown or when things started to open so, up again? Yeah, so when things somewhat started to open up again. So 2021 was when I did it. So it okay. was still kind of like not completely open. And, uh -huh. you know. It, but at least you yeah. were able to see people. I, I was able to see people. And, uh -huh. you know, my reversion also would not have worked without adding the community, especially from St. Faustina and uh, from Katie Young Adults. Uh, I, I know that it wouldn't have been easy. And I think the problem with my approach with faith, it seemed that it was always individualistic and it's not, it's always supposed to be a, an endeavor with community. And I, I didn't really ever understand that. I always yearned for that, um, but I never was able to connect and there was times where people would come up to me after mass and be like, hey, we're doing this with this group for like Katie Young Adults, you should come join. And I was like, no, I'm okay. Because in my mind, I'm already here checking off the box. I'm yeah. I'm already involved enough. I, I don't want to get more involved. And so, um, you know, praise God that people sought me out and um, heard my story and, and accepted it and have wished me well. And as well as you know, the guidance of, you know, Father Dad and Father Dave and Michael. Um, Father Dave and Michael has played a, a huge role in, in my reversion back. Um, and yeah, it's, it's so incredibly important to surround yourself with people who are like-minded and wanting the best for you. I, I think that was a major part of the, the missing key was, was the community. And until this day, like I, I know I'm eternally grateful uh, for the people who encouraged me and pushed me because uh, ultimately the goal hope all going well that I get to join the choir of angels singing and praising him in heaven. And I know that um, the people who 
believed in me and and sought me out um and, and not just the community i mean my, my family as well my parents uh, my mom and my dad just always supporting me uh, my brother and, and sister they, they've played a major role in it so um yeah this was not a one-man job by any means who do you think about uh, aside from father dad and father david michael that you know we're really persistent in hey you know join the katie young adults or hey you know maybe we should you can get involved with this in the church or is there a, is there a single person or is it just a bunch of different people i can name drop a lot of people but then if i forget someone i'm gonna get in trouble <laughs> so there were a lot of them. <laughs> there were there were a lot and you of were just hard to them you were just yeah, you at made first, excuses maybe? it was very slow because like, oh, we need you to sing somewhere. It's like, okay, well, I can do that. That's fine. I can okay. sing. Um, and then, okay, well, now we're, let's talk after any kind of event. And I'm like, okay, well, this is the part where I'm going to Irish goodbye <laughs> and just get on out of here, right? Uh -huh. um, but people just kept reaching out and, and, and saw that there was something there. Um, and so incredibly grateful for that. But I, I have to give just credit where credit is due for um, the people from Katie Young Adults, um, as well as my parents, like really my, my dad um, and, and I's relationship has just grown so much and as well as my mom's and their walk is just so incredibly special and, and really inspiring for my own. Um, they really dive deep um, a little bit earlier than I did, but Seeing them definitely made me curious, and I think seeing their example where I knew it was genuine because before um, it didn't seem so, um, I think seeing how they were feeling and how they were being fulfilled, even though that they were going through hurricanes and storms, maybe planted the seed itself to like, well, maybe there's something else for your life rather than um, all of these worldly things that you're running to. So we talked to your dad about his experience with the axe retreat and that was a major thing for him what was it like on your end did you notice a big difference with him yeah before and after yeah no absolutely i i think especially the second chance at life after uh, the surgery um, it was such a humbling experience because he had always been such a strong man even um, the night of the surgery i had all the faith in the world even though i wasn't praying in the way that i should have and being surrounded by prayer my dad is Superman, you know, like there's nothing that can bring him down. He's always taking care of us regardless of the situation. I've, I've never seen him um, fail, you know, and that, and that was a mentality. But seeing him have to recover and my mom have to take care of him, learning to walk again, you know, and losing all the weight that he did and having to walk around with tubes coming out of his body with blood dripping into buckets essentially it's it uh -huh. was just an incredibly humbling experience that i think the gift of life just had a whole new meaning for him and it was a second chance to serve well um and so his walk and, and, and that journey that he's had has given me you know all the excitement in the world that i also get a second chance mm -hmm. and um now we can together you know, be the Lord's servants and workers and build this kingdom here. And like he has his gifts and I have my own, but like I've always said that we are a team. My dad, my mom, my brother, and my sister were very much of a team. And um, there's a reason why the Lord kept them here and there's so much more work left to do. And so, yeah, it, it's exciting. 
So you were talking earlier about how, you know, you'd move the line and you'd compare yourself. Oh, well, at least I'm not like this person. And then, you know, you were going deeper and deeper and the line kept moving for you. When, when you look back at it, how, how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I try and, and, and get, like show myself a little bit of mercy because I maybe, maybe I was given the information, but I just didn't take it well and um, at the time, I, I guess I, I feel very different. And so I'm a bit of an emotional person. So I, I try to be understanding of why I was that way at the time. But, mm-hmm. um, and I'm honestly very grateful for it because like I said earlier, and now the appreciation I have for what I'm able to do and that I get the opportunity to serve. And when I am on my knees and, and praying and praying my rosary or in front of the blessed sacrament, now it gives it that much more meaning because it maybe if I hadn't gone through all of those things, um, I think it would mean a lot. But now, like at times, I I saw because how great is our God that He was so patient with me, um, where I could have easily, you know, gotten hit by a car or something, and and there it goes, you know, and just lost out an opportunity to like actually live life and um, not just live for short-term comforts and like enjoy the journey of betterment and and dying to self it's i now like my main focus is just to give praise and and just gratitude is just thank you jesus for the opportunity to to do this right now you know like i i've seen what's what the world has to offer and um it'll just never never be enough I can relate to how you said, you know, that that living a double life, being up there singing, and people thinking you have oh this perfect yeah. life. Because my 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 wife, my son, and I, we we sing for the church, and and sometimes I feel like, wow, do I really belong up here singing here? Like we're having struggles yeah. as a family. My wife and I are having struggles. I'm having struggles personally, yeah. and then you know, it, it that's something that I had to deal with. What was, I mean, I'm sure you had that as well. Yeah, I, I think it was a at first maybe a little bit of guilt and then just numbness and I just didn't think about it. And then now coming out of it and like actually being here, the guilt came back. It's like, how could you have done this? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but even till this day, like I still at times don't feel worthy, but I'm oh. trying to to show up and like it's never gonna be perfect, but that's the beauty of our faith and yes. and like in his mercy. So um, and I'm, I, I just like to say, I'm one of those people who think that you and your family are perfect. <laughs> I'm just going to point that out there, Rudy. Um, but oh, yeah, boy. I, I think that maybe that's the perception and, and yeah. hopefully today, like from sharing this, like people can see that like I'm a very normal person, oh, yeah. um, and I struggle every single day, but I'm, I'm in the fight, you know, and now thankfully, like I, the Lord is teaching me to want his will and that that i have certain desires in my heart um, but now i i want to desire his heart to where his heart leads me to his will and now everything is has changed i mean what you said is just exactly what goes through my head like okay yes okay we're not perfect up there but we're we're on our own journey right you know and that, that i still struggle with that a lot, and I'm sure my wife does, and my son as well. It's just one of those things, I guess. Yeah. You know, when you serve at church, we all know that we're sinners. Yeah, 
but we we just have to kind of power through and and deal with that guilt. Exactly. Now, now another thing that I can relate to you with is, so you had that situation when you were living in with somebody, and I had a situation as well. We tried to make that wrong situation right, and yeah. no matter how we tried to make it right, it wasn't going to be right because right. it was a wrong situation. Period. Did you have that kind of struggle trying to make it right? Oh yeah, but. The devil is a great negotiator, and he negotiates very well and just makes lighter of the situation where it's it's not that big of a deal, but it's in those small victories that he thinks he's having, right? But he's just building, like, brick by brick a wall until then you're numb and can't see on the other side, and, and that's what I felt like he was doing to me. I was like, I'm trying to make this right. I'm trying to make this right. And then the whole thing was the whole premise the foundation of that was wrong, period. Yeah, no, and, and at the time, I I felt that it was the right thing to do. And and there was yes. a certain peace about it, you know, it, which is pretty scary, um, the, the tactics that he uses, right? But um, I also have to admit that I just wasn't connected to the source and it was all relying on myself. Um, and so if we're, you know, we have a strategy and we're actually... Um, doing the things, whether it be praying the rosary, and if not praying the rosary, just saying thank you and having some type of dialogue with the Lord, um, all the things that we should be doing, then more likely than not, the right path will will be present. You know, the funny thing you, that you said was how your dad was ahead of you in his, you know, reversion. Yeah. The funny thing is, if you look at it, you're still a lot younger than he was at that point. So it, we all have our own. Yeah. We have our own path. We, you know, it's in God's time. It happens to us whenever it's meant to happen to right. us. Right? No, that that is funny. Yeah, I guess I I don't think about that too much. Um, but what what a gift it is that at least now it's in unison. You know, now we're we're walking and marching at the same step, and and I I couldn't be more grateful for that because now our relationship is is amazing. I mean, I. Every time I'm able to sing and an adoration and they're there, the hug that I get to have with them, with my dad and my mom right afterwards, it's, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything else. There's no drug in the world or nothing, um, just any kind of temptation that will ever make me feel what I feel when I get to give them that hug after adoration. And then during Mass, you talked about, you know, looking at, at, uh, at the consecration the, the Eucharist. We have a great view of it from the side. Yeah. Have you, do you appreciate it the, the same way that I see it? Like, this is different. This is not the way that a lot of people see it. Like, uh, absolutely. But, um, it, yeah, I, that, that one's honestly tough for me because I also like to be in the congregation. Uh-huh. And because at times, whenever you're serving, you have to make sure that the process of the Mass is flowing well. And so, as I'm leading, I have to know when to start and stop. Yes. Um, you know, so there isn't and a, too many breaks or the songs aren't too long. So at times I can't completely get into the moment. Oh, because you're um, busy. Because I'm busy, right? <laughs> um, and, and, and I'm serving. But the but yes, there are moments where I get to still be on my knees and just adore. And oh my goodness, being right there and, and that close, it's so special. And I don't know why he picked me to serve him, um, but... I'm I'm gonna do it to the best of my abilities now. Now speaking of of serving him and being, you know, in in the mass as in the music ministry. Now, 
we talked about your development as a musician from band and then singing solo. We talked to your dad about it as well. Was Did you notice at that point that you started to become really good? Because I talked to your dad about how the point when my son became better than me. Did you <laughs> notice that point when you became better than your dad? Um I just always thought that it was diff- different styles, and I, uh-huh. I don't. I still to this day, I don't think that by any means I am like, better. I, I really think that the gifts that he has is so special, and like he makes people feel in a different way. Mm. Um, and so I, I've never compared in any way. Um, to me, like he's someone that I look up to and admire. And the reason that I probably am able to sing is because even when I was in the womb. My dad would like put speakers next to my mom's belly <laughs> and just awesome. like kind of started putting the idea of music mm-hmm. there. So this has just been a, a long time coming. And so when I, when I get to sing, I'm not up there by myself. My my dad is with me. My my family's with me. Like um, the people that that I care about the most are always with me. I've had conversations with your dad about about you as a musician and about my son as well. And we, we talk about... He's so talented. <laughs> and congratulations on the Allstate. Oh, thank you. That's yeah. so, so awesome. We, we we talk about it and we're like... And when, when I talk to your dad about it, he's like, well, that's the goal, isn't it? For our kids to be better than us? Yeah. And I'm like, that's exactly it. That's the right. goal. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think as I'm getting older, like that is something that I'm yearning for is to be a father at some point. But at, the Lord has me in a season right now where he still wants me to lean on him and get to know him more to when that moment comes, um, you know, I'll be prepared. But yeah, I I can't imagine what it feels to, I mean, you enjoy singing and then seeing your son excel in the way that he does. And I'm always upset that he can't ever come sing with us at the 430 <laughs> Mass because that would be amazing. Um, he's, he's busy as a senior now, so maybe afterwards. Right. Um, but yeah, I I do um, really look forward to the day where um, whatever my son or daughter would like to be involved in, that I can just be their biggest cheerleader. So looking back at your story, what would you say to somebody who's in a situation like you were in, where you've kind of gone off the deep end, you've moved the line so many times that you can't even see where you started? What would you say to somebody? Yeah. um, I would say that, why not? J- just why not give it a chance? And that, you know, the first time you go for a run or the first time you go in weightlift, um, that night when you look in the mirror, there's not going to be much difference. The next day you go on another run and you go and weightlift again, you're not going to see much difference again. But if you really are consistent and just continue to show up, you will see the fruit and you will see the improvement. And so to just try and strive for consistency and then it doesn't have to be perfect and they can start small because just like when you're on the deep end, it's because you took little steps to get there, uh-huh. right? And so I, I I would just encourage to just show up. Did you ever feel not? at that point that you were beyond saving? Yes, yes, because I I couldn't get over the fact near the end that I was living that double life, that I was serving here and doing all of these things behind closed doors and could hide it so well. And then people would come up to me saying, you made me feel this and you made me feel that. Thank you so much. And I had to look them in the eye and tell them or 
keep it to myself and know that um, I might be looking like an apple that on the outside is red and vibrant, but on the inside is just rotting away. So you felt like a hypocrite? I felt very much like a hypocrite, yes. What would you say to somebody who feels like they're beyond saving? That the Lord is just so merciful and he's so patient and kind. And you will be so surprised at the reaction, um, the feeling you will get if you go to confession and, you know, share your sins with your priest. Um, I was for a long time at him and like, why do I need to tell someone else my sins? I can just tell the Lord myself, you know, why does there need to be a middleman here, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but just to, to face sin in the face and have the courage and humility to allow him to be your strength. You know, um, I, for a long time, I, I, I didn't know what to do, but I started getting the idea of like, I need to put everything that is affecting me at the foot of the cross. Um, and then now that I concept has been shifting as time has gone on, because I'm very anxious and I want to go back and grab what I put at the foot of the cross. Let me take that back for a sec. I'll put it back later. Um, I'm learning to bury it there and really keep it there because I know when the time is right, he will resurrect it and whatever that I need to place there is is his and my life is his. And so just to um, never feel that you're too far gone and that we have a Lord who's merciful and, and wants us to come home. So if there's somebody who attends the 430 Mass or anyone in our, in, uh, in our parish that feels like they want to or they need to take steps to go back, what would you recommend that they do? You just start small. Um, to me, the first thing that I would start with is just saying thank you, Jesus, for, for my life and for even giving me the opportunity to try and, and walk back. Um, I started small with maybe just five minutes of prayer in the morning or at night, uh-huh. um, just having moments of gratitude and having the perspective of that our life isn't our own. And so the biggest thing for me is to show gratitude. And once you start showing gratitude and seeing what's in front of you, then everything else will fall into place. Then you'll be more open to pray the rosary or to open up your Bible and look into the gospel, to go to spend a holy hour um, in front of the Bestlet Sacrament, you know, going to confession. I think first and foremost, knowing that like, to know your identity as a child of God and your identity um, with the Father and that He loves you and to just say thank you and and just come home to Him. Do you think that if somebody wants to take those steps back, should they approach a group like Katie Young Adults first or should they go to the parish priest first? What do you think? Or does it depend on the person and their situation? Right. No, and you bring up a great point. I think also seeking community is huge. Um, everyone's different. Some people are a little bit more introverted. Introverted. I'm very introverted. Some people are more extroverted where um, at first it'll be easier to just go out and tell a bunch of people what they're feeling and, and find comfort there, or they just need to reach out to a priest. I, I would say um, take it to prayer first and foremost. You know, um, Have that conversation with the Lord and just ask Him, and if you don't receive an answer per se, then maybe then go to the next step of 
finding someone who might appear that is maybe a little bit farther along and might direct you in the right way. Um, to me, at this point, by no means do I think that I've arrived, but I, I'm always trying to seek people who are very committed and very consistent and trying to see what they would say is better for me to do in certain situations. And so um, I think it's on a case-by-case basis. I like how you said you haven't arrived, but, you know, just based off of your story and you're definitely on the road, you've taken huge steps and, you know, we thank you so much for, you know, sharing your story. I know it might have been difficult (laughs) and I I thank you for having the courage to share it. And we know that, you know, there are people who are definitely going to benefit from you telling your story. No, thank you, Rudy. And I mean, this platform is amazing. The work that you and Norm are doing is just going to help move mountains, you know, and yeah, it's, it, it's amazing that you both are using your gifts uh, to share people's stories. And I'm, I'm very thankful for, for today. Thanks. Just like you, we try to do the best we can. Absolutely.